Welcome to the Soulful Podcast. I am your host, Megan Harmony, a champion at overcoming the tough stuff and enjoying life while rising above it. Soulful living means getting to a place of ease and comfort, no matter what's happening around you. It is waking up excited about what adventures you will go on. It's connecting to the power within you as your source of strength, grace, and security. It's being uncomfortable during growth spurts and leaning into the stretch. Each week, I will share with you about my journey and the experiences I have had. I'll offer you hope and inspiration that it is possible to live a full life even when the you-know-what is hitting the fan. I believe that love is a language we can all understand and I want to inspire you to trust and believe in yourself. Your soul is hungry for more. Lean in to get soul full. Happy Monday, everyone, and welcome to the Soulful Podcast. Today, I am so excited to have my dear friend Kelly on, and I just want to give you guys a little bit of information about her because she's an incredible human being. Kelly is an advocate for families living alongside addiction. Her passion is to help families living alongside addiction to find freedom in their own lives, remove guilt, and empower themselves on their journey of self-discovery. Through her own personal story of addiction and recovery, in addition to being a spouse living alongside addiction, Kelly delivers an educational and informative talk on this subject that is warm, lighthearted, and engages her audience to think. Kelly has been an educator for 20 years with the District School Board of Niagara. She also facilitates workshops, has spoken at events in Southern Ontario, and offers online support to families through her Facebook page, Finding Freedom from an Addicted Loved One. I'm so glad to have you here, Kelly. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Megan. So I want to start out just asking you a few get-to-know-you questions so the audience will know who you are. So first one, what's your go-to Boost Your Spirit song? Oh, anything that's, um, I'm not someone that has a favorite song or favorite group. Anything okay. that's, um, any kind of like dance tune or something that, yeah, something I can just get in the mood to. Yeah. And get your body moving, right? Yeah. You can often see me dancing in the car with my kids. <laughs> Which I'm sure they can't stand. My daughter's yeah. like, mom, stop doing that. You're embarrassing me. I'm like, yeah, oh. really, mom? Really? You just did that? Yeah, I did. <laughs> I sure did. Having a dance party in the car. Best place yeah. to do it. And, and like any old school dance, like bust a move, like any. Yeah, old yeah kind of definitely. Thing. Yeah. That's awesome. That's so awesome. Uh, what is your favorite childhood memory? Well, the first thing that comes to mind, and I'm actually really surprised it did, um, I was the great princess in, gosh, 1980. Wow. So in Niagara, if you're familiar with the Niagara area, we have the Niagara Grape and Wine Festival. Okay. And it's evolved, evolved a lot. But uh, I have photos, and I, I go back to those because... When, when we'll get to it later, um, I did go to treatment, but one of those photos came up during my counseling okay. and my perception or the perception that we have of alcoholics is that we had, um, um, we didn't have support, the support that we were looking for. Right. And there's one picture that stands out and I'm standing there and I'm looking up at my parents and just the look of admiration and adoration in their eyes it just, it's almost like a picture that speaks a thousand words. Definitely. So when I looked at that recently in the last few years, I saw more in that picture than I've ever seen. Mm. So that would be a memory that comes up from my childhood. That's beautiful, Kelly. And I think it's so important that you touched on that, that the, um, a lot of the recovery community believes that you had a bad childhood if you are an alcoholic or an addict. And right. That's not always the case, right? No. Um, so I think it's lovely that you have that picture to remind you that you had love and you had support. And, and uh, definitely, like, I'm, I'm the same. I had loving and adoring parents. Like, they, they would have given the world for me, right? So um, that's a really huge point to make because 
you can still be somebody that has a problem with drinking and drugs and still have had great parents. A hundred percent. Right. And I feel like when we go through that addictive cycle, we play the poor me, we play the victim, we play that I must have been the forgotten child. Maybe they favored the other one, right? Like we put that on ourselves and Mm -hmm. we play the poor me card because we want, you know, the pity, right? We know we've gotten ourselves into a situation. So we're looking for ways to grab that attention, right? Definitely. Definitely. So, I, uh, I played the victim a lot is what I used yeah, to say. And I, that's no discredit to anyone that's been through anything. But for me, when I really got honest about the things I'd been through, mm-hmm. um, it, it changed. So mm-hmm. next question, who inspires you the most? I'm, I'm pausing. <laughs> Um, I do. I do know my kids hundred percent. I love that. And they're a huge part of my story. And that was my wake up call. Um, during this was looking at my daughter, she was about five years old and the type of marriage that I was in. I remember looking into her eyes going, this is not what I want her to see as what a marriage should be. This is not okay. And Mm -hmm. I don't want her growing up in this home and thinking, that this will be okay in her marriage. Right. So I, yeah, so those are why, that's why they're my inspiration and they inspire me because I want to be that leader for them and the example mm-hmm. for them. That's so beautiful, Kelly. And, and yeah, our kids have this way, like they're our greatest spiritual teachers. They have this way yeah. of waking us up to those types of realities. So I, I love that you shared that. Thank you so much. Next one's kind of a fun one. What do you want to be when you grow up? <laughs> mm. I love that one. I almost said like artist, but I'm not so much, you know, art, but like a creator. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I can I definitely really, see you doing that. I've really honed into my creative abilities and creative talents and writing. You know, mm-hmm. I always thought, I wasn't a good writer in high school. I didn't do great in English. Um, but in the last couple of years, I've really found the gift that I have in writing. So I would say a creator. That's, that's what I awesome. And it could be anything. It could be. Yeah. That's really awesome. And, and so important to tap into that creative ability and amazing that you were able to bust through that belief that I'm not a good writer just because you didn't do well in high school English. Like right. that's, so many people have that, that belief system, like, um, maybe not specific to English and writing, but about various different things, just because they had a bad experience previously. Um, so that's, and I've gone back to some of my pieces that I wrote in high school and I used to write poems all the time. And, you know, there were things that happened when I was in high school that were tough on the community. And I remember writing a piece on that and I thought, Whoa, that was really good. Like when I look at it now, yeah. and so those gifts were there. Yeah, I just wasn't seeing them. Well, exactly right, and and because my marks would have shown otherwise, or you know, learning about Shakespeare wasn't my thing, so I wasn't doing well. So right. I'm, like, I'm just not good at English. But right, and you create that belief. Gift. Right. Definitely, mm-hmm. and and I think it's so important that we. Um, we work through those things, right? And it's awesome that you can look back now and go, wow, that was really well written and say, maybe that's not true that I'm not a a good writer. Mm -hmm. Maybe because a lot of people, at least most of the adults I've met, base those belief systems they created when they were younger on either their grades or how the teacher spoke to them or, and no discredit to teachers because I know you're in that field or, but there are some teachers that just aren't great leaders. Right. Right. hundred percent. Right, and you know, I, I would say to anyone listening to this, who is a student, just because you didn't do well one year, doesn't mean you don't have a gift for that or you don't have a talent for that. That's and just good. because your marks might not reflect that you're good in a certain area, it doesn't mean you can't be. Right. And I right? think that's a huge point to me. And I think you, you get the, these beliefs stuck in your mind that I just suck at this, right? But, but that's not the tr- truth, right? And so keep exactly. following, I guess, being curious. 
That's right? a really good what point. What are you curious with and just follow it, right? You don't have to be good at it. You don't have to excel. Definitely. If you're curious and passionate, then stick with it. Definitely. I think that's great advice. And I just want to preface something or put a caveat. There's a lot of amazing teachers out there. <laughs> like, I just want to say that because I, I don't want to. 100%. Wanna, but, but it's like anything. There's people who are doing things that shouldn't be in that field, right? It's Yeah. Um, and I think it's huge that you just said to remain curious, right? Because at the end of the day, if it's something you really enjoy, you'll find a way to make it work, right? So mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. thank you. Thank you for that, Kelly. And what does it mean for you to live a soulful life? I would have to say living soulfully to me is being in tune with um, following my gut, like being like following my intuition, because for a long time, I didn't do that. I looked for answers from everyone else. I asked the opinions of everyone else and really getting quiet and clear and finding out what do I value? Because mm. my values were based on what everyone else thought was a good idea. Right. So for me, just being really soulful um, is staying true to who I am. Mm. Definitely. I love that answer, Kelly, because it, it's so true, right? We have, to, we have to learn to listen to ourselves rather than all those external sources. So thank you right. for sharing that. And, you know, that it's taken me 43 years to get there. Right. So I'm hoping, you know, some other people who might be listening right now can get in touch with that part of themselves sooner. Definitely. But I, you know, I hear teenagers at school say, asking their friends, well, what do you think? Should I wear this? Should I do this? Should I post this picture? And I had a conversation with someone last week and I thought, whoa, 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 stop right there. What do you want to do? What do you want to do? What feels right for you? Right. And if it doesn't feel right, don't do it. If it feels right, then go ahead. Right. And I think that's important because we, we put our value so much in the opinion of others. And that's where we make our first mistakes. Definitely. Definitely. We do definitely put the value in other people's opinions. And I love how you said, what do you want to do? And if it's mm -hmm. a yes, do it. And if it's not, don't, because that's so important, especially in the times we're living in, in this moment with COVID-19, it's like, you have to follow your soul and your gut intuition as to what's best mm -hmm. for you, what's best for your family, all of those things. I mean, obviously following the guidelines from World Health Organization and things, but um, right. yeah, it's so important to listen to that intuition, right? Because... Mm -hmm. so, our soul always knows the path before we do. So if, if you have this, like you said, gut feeling in your intuition, I probably shouldn't go get groceries today. <laughs> there is probably a reason for that, right? Like, mm -hmm. and just learning, but, and then there's another step of learning to listen to that, right? Like, cause yeah. I don't know about you, but one of the things I used to do before I tapped in was I would get that hit of, don't do this right now or go do this right now. And I wouldn't listen. Yes. And then the chaos ensued. <laughs> right. right. And you know, and I think especially now that you mentioned it, <laughs> yeah. with the COVID-19, right? There's, as a parent, you have to make choices that might be difficult for, um, might be difficult for their kids, because your kids, because they don't understand, right? Yeah. If you're not sending them to a party, it's because your gut's telling you, it's not, not okay to go there because I don't know. You, like there's a lot of unknowns right now. Right. Um, and as uh, someone who has never been an overprotective helicopter parent, yeah. um, I also recognize the severity of what's going on now. And yeah. in the last couple of years, just the work that I've been following my intuition and following my gut, yeah. you don't always need to have a reason for why you're doing things. It just doesn't. Yeah right right now so you're not going yeah right and 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 that's a that's a huge point right that um 
you don't always have to have a reason why or an explanation, mm -hmm. right? Especially with the audience that you work with of family members affected by someone living with substance abuse. Um, I know for me, when I dated someone, like I, I always had a reason for why things were like, I always had right. to explain. Right. And like one of the best lessons I learned at that time was no is a complete sentence, yeah. right? Like yeah. you don't have no because or no, like we yeah. don't have to explain ourselves. We yeah. can stand in our truth with confidence. Right. And that being said, when it comes to our kids, sometimes we don't have to, at least for me with my daughter, I don't have to give her a full out explanation, but I find when I do sort of explain what's going on in the world in a way she'll All understand, right. Mm -hmm. it's, it's helpful, right? You know, and those no's or it just doesn't feel right have come, um, at least with my kids, with communication. Yeah. This is what's going on in the world. These are the yeah. facts. Um, and it's not to place fear. It's just like, this is what's going on, black and white. This, this We're going to yeah. just say they know this right now. But, you know, I think it's really important as family members living alongside addiction, um, learning boundaries and how to use them. And no, you're, you know, that's when the no comes in with no explanation. Yeah, right? definitely. I think, I think we get caught in that world. I know I did was no, well, no, because I think, you know, and you weren't sure because right. you didn't have that confidence. Right. Um, but it's like anything, right? It takes practice. Well, and that's just it, right? It takes practice. It, it takes a community of people who are going through the same thing that you can talk to about what's going, like what you're going through and they can give you their guidance as to how they did it and, and all of right. that stuff, which I love that you've cre created that Facebook page for people to come together and share their experiences and, and successes and things like that. Right. Okay, so at this time, we're going to go a little bit deeper, not that we haven't already, but uh, can, you, can you share with us a dark night of the soul that you've gone through in your life and kind of what that was like for you, what that looked like? I would have to say, and it's pivotal, I guess this would be the most pivotal moment when I knew things needed to change. You know, prior to this, there had been many nights where I was like, oh my gosh, not again. Um, drugs were an issue in our house. Uh, both of us had addictive, um, both of us had addictions. Okay. Uh, I did not recognize mine at the time. I, I was the queen of blame. I wanted to blame my situation <laughs> on everyone else. <laughs> yeah. But I was right there along with him doing the same drugs, doing the same activities, and but I didn't have the problem, right? It was always someone else that had the problem. So there were many mornings, many early mornings, many nights um, where I would be on my hand knees going, oh my gosh, not again. <laughs> we're here again. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the endless cycle of chaos, but it wasn't until, um, you know, it was April, might, might have been three years ago, April 2016. And I had been up all night and I remember it was early morning and I was on my hands and knees and I was on my way uh, to leave. Like my kids were sleeping over at my mom's that weekend and my keys ended up, <laughs> without giving too much details, my car keys ended up in the pool. So I'm on my hands and knees scraping you know when they you have the um those covers that are tight fitting over the pool and they have the metal hooks and i'm scraping scraping my knees are on my knees my hands are my knuckles are being cut on the concrete trying to and i don't know what i was thinking i know i was messed up by then so i wasn't thinking right and i'm thinking if i can just get the cover up i can jump in the pool grab my keys and then leave <laughs> like right. leave with my car and somewhere in that moment, it was almost like, you know, and I get chills now when I talk about it because it's almost like there was this out of body experience and I could see um, this other like version of me standing outside of myself, looking down at me saying, what are you doing? Right. Like, just stop. What are you doing right now? You don't need your keys. You don't need your car. You don't need your house. 
if you don't leave now, you're going to lose yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, I knew I was already hanging on by a thread at that point, but it was like all surface, like material stuff. I'm like, I just need to pick myself up right now, take what I have left, grab my coat and go. And mm-hmm. I walked through the house, got my coat, and I walked to my mom's that morning. Mm-hmm. And that would have been, um, that would have been the first, the very first darkest um, moment for me. And mm-hmm. I stayed at my mom's and I hid out, hid out at my mom's. Because um, it was scary times, right? It's mm-hmm. any, anyone who's been involved with addiction, um, especially when you're both involved, it's very volatile, very unpredictable, mm-hmm. very scary. You don't know what's going to happen next. Uh, so I did go back three times um, that year, that same year, because I thought I could make it work. I thought I could change. I thought I, we could just stop. Um, and then it wasn't until November, uh, there was another incident like that. And I, I had been researching, like Google was my best friend <laughs> yeah. months, because I couldn't talk to anyone. People knew things were off and things were not right. And they could see that I was like white as a ghost half the time because I, I wasn't handling the stress very well. Um, and so I was researching, how do you talk to someone who has an issue with um, drugs, not knowing that I'm the one who have, has my own issues with alcohol, and I was also doing drugs at the time as well, but I never thought I was the one with the problem. Right. Right? So I had been researching, how do you talk to someone, how do you have these conversations? And it was Thanksgiving of that year. We had been looking forward to going on a family hike on the Monday. And I remember waking up Monday morning and saying to my husband at the time, are we going for that hike today? Cause I was really hopeful that things were turning around right now. I'm back for the third time. You've made these promises that well, things will get better. And I think that's where we stay is li- hanging on to all these empty promises that never, never happened. Right. Yeah, definitely. So I remember looking at him on that Monday morning going, we're not going for that hike today. And so I worked up the courage. I I left my kids, went for the hike with my kids, came back, worked up the courage that night to have this conversation that I had rehearsed because Google's telling me how to have this conversation. Yeah. (laughs) And, you know, I, I said what I needed to say and, and not, not, it was a conversation. It was like, this is how I'm feeling. This is what I'm seeing. Followed the Google guidelines. So to have these conversations yeah. and I remember finishing and being so scared to have this conversation and looking in the eyes and I was getting nothing in return. Like yeah. there was, um, and that it was in that moment that I realized I've already lost him. There mm-hmm. is no conversation that's going to come out of this. And if I'm going to save anyone, I need to save myself right now. And that was when I decided to leave, um, leave for good yeah 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 and i and you know i at the time i thought you know if this is going to change i'm the one that needs to start making some changes right so yeah there was a lot of dark times during that year but those were the two pivotal pivotal moments for me and i i think it's so ironically beautiful like and i mean that in the sense of like our dark times support us to become the best version of ourselves. They're so difficult when we're in them. Like when you were on the edge of the pool, scraping your knuckles, it didn't feel good. It didn't, you, you probably felt horrible about yourself, but that moment led you to the next moment with your husband where you're like, he's not going to change. And then you start taking ownership of your choices in your life and your goal. Mm-hmm. I have to get out of this, right? Yeah. And you know, don't get me wrong, it wasn't like I left that November. I'm like, all right, Kel, like you're gonna right. go on and have this great, wonderful life. No, I still continued my behaviors. I still continued the drinking because now I need a way to cope. Like that's how I coped. Yeah. My last five years. So why would it be any different after that, right? Right. And then, you know, things were you know, obviously any 
one who goes through something like that in their marriage, there's a lot of conflict, a lot of um, safety issues, right? With the yeah. kids and what you're going to do and decisions you have to make. And, and I know, I guess the last five years, I was at a point where the drinking for me um, had become excessive. It was every night I'm driving to work going, oh my gosh, how am I going to get through this day? But I was a very, um, I was worried, worried about appearances. I was worried about what people thought. So I always made sure, not to say I didn't have multiple sick days. I did. Right. But I still tried to look presentable. I still tried to look like I had it all together. I still got my kids to all their sports, all their activities. Right. They may have gotten to hockey and <laughs> had been missing some gear. <laughs> Right. But, but I, I kept trying to put my best foot forward and doing what I could, knowing inside that I was crumbling through all of this, right. knowing I wasn't being true to who I was and knowing this is not how I want to live my life, mm. but I didn't know any other way. Right. Right. Mm. Like, and then you come home and you think, okay, I'm not going to drink tonight. I'm going to go to the gym. And, you know, I always worked out through this. I don't know how I maintained <laughs> maintained that but I think that was you know how they say you try to control our drinking yeah right we try to control our drinking first yeah. so I thought if I'm at the gym then I'm not going to drink well as soon as I got home from the gym that's when I would start drinking because something would set me off and I'm like okay well now I need a glass of wine or now I need this and, and yeah. that turns into a couple of bottles and <laughs> yeah right so sure. um yeah so it wasn't until when things started to turn around for me, my ex went to treatment. Okay. The, his family had, because we weren't together, he was still living in the house. I had moved in with my mom and they did an intervention, like mini intervention. He decided to go to treatment. And I thought, okay, great. Like I've got six weeks where I can breathe. Right. And we were in the process of what are we going to do with the house? You know, anyone who's been involved with drugs or alcohol to the extent that we had been, you, you're behind the bills. You're not paying for things. Definitely. Everything, everything is a mess, right? You have mail that's been piled up that hasn't been opened because you don't even want to look at it. Yeah. So the next step was we need to sell the house. And he, um, he went to treatment. I was cleaning up the house, trying to pack some things and, two weeks in, two and a half weeks in, he's back home. Oh. And I remember I was, happened to be in our house and there was a knock at the door and I hadn't been living there. So I thought, well, that's odd. So I go and answer the door and he's standing there. And if you would have saw my face, I was white as a ghost. Like right. I froze. And I'm like, what, what are you doing here? Because you're not expected back until another four weeks. Right. And and, you know, we had been, um, I think I had spoke to him once or twice since he was at the treatment center and he had talked about a family program and his counselor suggested that the family member comes in to do this family program. And I remember being on the phone with him saying, I don't need to go there. I'm not the right. one with the problem. I don't need to be, we're not family. That's what I said to him. I said, we're not a family anymore. I want nothing to do with this. Right. And um, so he comes home, um, it didn't work out. There was something that happened and, and I remember panicking, like, what am I going to do now? Like, I can't, I was that, that fearful because I was afraid of the unknown, afraid of what was going to happen. And it was just full of fear, full yeah, of fear. Definitely. Our whole lives are full of fear, but this time these years, especially. And I remember researching something was different. Something had changed in him in those last two weeks, mm -hmm. you know, through the sessions that they had, his language was different. And I remember him asking me, so how are you doing, Cal? I'm like, pardon? Like, how, do you, how, how do you think I'm doing? <laughs> he goes, no, like, how are you feeling? And that's a big question that they ask you every day in treatment. How are you feeling today? And I'm like, what do you mean? How am I feeling? <laughs> like, how do you think I'm feeling? And I remember I like I was standing in our kitchen at the time and I just lost it. 
and I went through this whole range of emotions and I'm like, I'm feeling blah, I just, you know, spewed out a hundred different emotions. And, mm-hmm. and his response was, okay, that's okay. And I'm like, whoa, <laughs> like there was no right. fight back. There was no nothing. It was just like, I can understand that. And I'm like, whoa, okay, what's going on here? Right. So mm-hmm. again, you're, you're hopeful that maybe in those cheeks, things, you know, there was a little bit of a change, right? Right. So now, of course, you still care. This is someone you've been married to, right? You still care about them. You still care about their progress. And I remember researching that night, how do you speak to someone who has just come home from treatment so that you don't send them into a relapse? Still think I had all this control over someone else's addiction. What are Kelly's words going to be so that I don't? cause these behaviors right and while I was researching I happened to go on the treatment center it was um it was Bellwood in Toronto I went on their treatment center website and I saw the notice the thing for families I'm like hmm so I started reading about it I'm like oh there's a family program hmm which I already knew about but I wasn't giving any attention to before right and it said it was for a week and it was starting the week that following week and I thought hmm maybe I should check this out because I didn't want to be in the city I did not want to be in the same city with this person right. so I'm looking you know as we do as alcoholics we're always looking for the next escape how can I run from my problems so I don't have to deal with them yeah and so I thought well let me call the number it was a 24-hour hotline and I thought well I can't call now I'll call tomorrow you have to work up your courage right to call right yeah the next morning I'm like shaking <laughs> and I'm like well what if they, what if they know it's Kelly Thorne what if they know um who I am and that I'm a teacher and that I need help with this like mm-hmm. you know fear and I think that kept me from asking for help for so long is I didn't want to admit that that um I, I wasn't living an honest life right it right. felt like I was living a double life so I did call and she did tell me the next session was starting. It was a Thursday night that I called. The next session was starting on Monday. And I thought, great, um, I'll come. So I stayed with my brother in Toronto. I went to the treatment center every day. It was a nine to five program for the whole week. Nice. I thought I was off work. Sorry, let's rewind. I had been off work since I had left um, in November. And I remember it was the first session first or second session might have been the second session the doctor from the treatment center came in and he was talking about alcohol and what it does to different people he said one person will have a drink and those feel-good receptors might go up one on a scale of one to ten another person will have that same drink and the feel-good receptors go over to ten and like bells and whistles go off in their head and it's like woo party time and ding, 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 ding. And I'm like, oh my God, that's me. Like, let's have more. Right. right? If one's right. good, head must be better. So, and, and that, and you know, I, I just kind of like sat there going, oh my God, he's talking about me right now. Like, right. And then I felt like I'm looking around the room at all the family members who are there and they did not have substance abuse problems. And they're sitting there because they're at the end of their rope with their addicted loved one. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. Should I even be here right now? That's how I thought, right? Yeah. And, but I still went, you know, finished off the week. There was so much value in that program and there was so much education and learning. Um, yeah. And there was a session on boundaries. I didn't even know what that word meant. I'm like, oh, when they were saying examples of what boundaries looked like and didn't look like. And I recognized I don't have any. Right. 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 And so listening to her going, giving the examples, I'm like, I just thought I was being nice. I just thought that's Mm. what was expected of me. I thought that was, um, I don't want to say part of my role as a wife, but you know, do for others, be selfless, but you're giving, giving, giving of yourself and you never stand up for yourself. Right. So yeah. That so makes really good sense. Like, cause so many people 
don't know what a boundary is because it's, well, it's not something they teach in school and it's not something a lot of families discuss, right? So I think it's still difficult. Like a boundary is not a rule, right? right? Like, you know, parents may think they have boundaries with their kids, but they're not rules. Boundaries are not for someone else. They're not something you put on someone else. They're something that you use to honor yourself. And I think that's a huge point because there's a lot of confusion there when people talk about boundaries. Yeah. Hmm. Boundaries are, you're not going to do this anymore. Stop, right? It's like, no, I'm not going to accept this anymore. And this is what I'm going to do instead. Definitely. Right? It's not something that you place on someone else. So yeah, that was kind of where things started to shift for me. And it wasn't until that, so that was February. I had cut back on my drinking. Okay. <laughs> going there. Um, and I think at that time it was more <laughs> for selfish reasons. It wasn't, I thought, you know, if I'm telling you that you're the bad person per se for doing this, then I need to get my act together. I don't want to look like the bad person. So I think it was more, um, I don't want to say manipulative. I think my reasons for stopping were wrong at the time. Right. For sure. I think, so, uh, I think you're not alone in that. Right. A lot of us, like we, we get to this place of like, well, if I stop, they'll stop. Or if I'm going to tell you, you have to stop, then I better be better than you and stop first. Type of right. Thing. Right. And that's exactly like, you just nailed it on the head. Right. Like, I better not look like the bad one here. So I'm going to start right. cutting back. Right. And then I do remember, I think it was March, I went to a meeting and, um, and I went because I was supporting my ex at the time because he had started going to meetings and I was mm -hmm. listening to the stories and um, I went to an AA meeting and I was listening to what they were saying and what the speakers were saying. And I remember sitting there like almost elbowing him. Like, did you hear that? Did you hear that? Or looking, right? Like, yeah, that applies to you, but not thinking I should be listening for myself. Right. I think a lot of people do that when they first come in. They compare, right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, I'm not as bad as them, so this doesn't apply for me, right? Yeah. And I, um, so I got my last, I got my chip, I guess, at the end of March. And I remember it was, Easter weekend I was at my cousin's for Easter and I think I just got my chip because it seemed like the right thing to do right, right. I'm here so let's just go get it and then it was Easter weekend and I ever I was good everyone was drinking I wasn't drinking I was drinking the juice that the kids were having and somewhere near the end of the day it kind of got to me and I thought well I can put like a little splash of wine in here right and that should be okay right and I did that and it was April 15th. I'll never forget. And like the feeling that I had after was like, damn, now I got to start over. Now right. I got to start my day one over because that's what they tell you in the meetings. You, right. Even if it's a splash, right? Yeah. Even if it's a you start over from day one. I'm like, I never want to feel that again. Mm. Yeah. Right. For me, like at the time, like that was, that was difficult for me knowing I had to start over. Mm, yeah. and not even recognizing at the time I needed I wanted to work towards sobriety right right yeah so I was still going you know after I did the family program I was still seeing a counselor from Toronto I she was the one who did the boundary session okay. and I said to her I want to learn more about this I need to learn more about this and I kept driving back and forth and I had a session with her every week and it was kind of near April April something Time. she said you know you can come to treatment yourself she goes we can do these weekly meetings <laughs> but it's going to take you a really long time to work through right. um all of these layers and i just looked at her and i'm like me go to treatment really <laughs> and she goes well yeah you know you have to do an assessment and you can come in and do the assessment she said but i'm pretty sure you'll qualify <laughs> Yeah. And I'm like, really? She goes, well, let's start doing the assessment. If you don't qualify, then you don't qualify. <laughs> right. Might but, as well uh, just try the assessment and see. Yeah. And when I went for the assessment, there was a lot of categories that 
I needed work in. I needed um, that were areas, you know, relationships, the drugs, right. the escaping, the alcohol, using, um, I think there was a section on using painkillers, right? So mm -hmm. after you're drinking or you've been using, now you need something just to calm your nerves or, yeah. and, you know, and then I thought back to, you know, the painkiller were an issue during that year, but they were five years ago and I was using them five years ago during that time of my life. Right. right? So yeah. They really broke it down like that. I thought, Oh, there's a lot of, a lot of areas that need some work. Right. For so sure. I, you know, we had sold our house and I thought, okay, my kids are off school until June. Now's a great, like, let's just go again. It was about the escape for me. Mm -hmm. How can I, how can I get out of here? It seemed like a good idea. I had nothing else to do other than go to the gym while they were at school at that point. Yeah. Um, all about the escape. Let me go away for six weeks. I knew my kids were in a safe place at that point. Um, so there wasn't the fear of, you know, my ex had still been clean up until that point. So, yeah. you know, going to treatment for me is probably the best thing that I've done in my whole entire life. Mm. It really yeah. was, you know, I felt like, um, but I was still in denial and I was still lying to people when I went there because I told my best friend, you know, I'm just going to go for a couple of weeks. The sessions have been really helpful. I just want to get a little bit more education. It's all about the yeah. education piece for me. Yeah. And I want to find out what he learned there so I can help him, even though we weren't back together then. I said, I'm just going to go and check it out for a couple weeks. And even though I was approved for six weeks, <laughs> right. I'll check it out and I'll see you in a couple weeks. I couldn't even be honest with my best friend. Right. And it was after the first week and there was so much that came out in those first sessions for me. And I called her and I said, yeah, I'll see you on, on July 6th. <laughs> yeah. And she goes, oh, you're, you're going to stay? I said, yeah, I need to stay. <laughs> and, and it was, you know, the first time in my life that I had an opportunity, just everything that I had been stuffing down for so long, mm -hmm. like those group sessions, three times a week, two hours a pop, like I used them fully. And it was just like unloading every time I was in there, like the tears, the you know, and you, I felt every time I shared, things got lighter. The burden got, you know, got halved, I guess, as they say, right? Yeah, for sure. Uh, and I had never had that opportunity before. Mm. So that's where, that's where, um, yeah, that's where the shift came. I just need to be honest with people. Mm. And, and I was still learning, you know, talking about boundaries they're still i think i was still oversharing with people when i came home right you still want to play the poor me the um you still want to have the pity party and make people oh yeah kelly i would drink too if i had to go through all that right, right. because you want people to feel sorry for you but it wasn't until i actually really became honest with everyone mm -hmm. and shown accountability and ownership for everything that was mine to own yeah. Did I gain the respect back from people? Definitely. That's a huge point. That's right? a huge point, Kelly. People can like, feel sorry for you, but they still won't respect you until right. you take ownership for your part and accountability. That was huge for me. Definitely. The accountability piece and ownership is so important, right? Because it's not till we take ownership of our, like that moment, that defining moment where we realize that my life is a result of my choices even if other people have done wrong to us, we still put mm -hmm. ourselves in that situation because we didn't have boundaries to respect ourselves or different things, right? And when we can take full ownership of our lives, it becomes this pivotal point of, that means the rest of my life is my destiny. Like I get to decide, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And, and, and you made the choice to be honest with yourself as well as with everyone else. And I think that's a huge point too, because without that honesty, nothing can come if we're still not telling ourselves the truth. We're still hiding, right? Yeah. And I think, you know, going forward, it was like every decision that I make now 
is going to have a direct reflection on my kids' lives and how they flourished and how they thrive. And that was the first time in my life where choice mattered to me, right? I have a choice in everything I do and I can either, you know, make the next, next right thing or do the next best thing. And that will get me closer to my goal. If I want to make the wrong choice, then I'm going to get further away from where I want to be. Definitely. I think right. So I know people will in recovery have relapses and I totally understand everyone's journey is different, Mm -hmm. but I do believe, um, relapse doesn't have to be part of your story. Um, and, and I think for me, (laughs) it sounds silly, the the number thing, it was almost like a inverse game at first. If I can get 14 days, I can get 30. And I just wanted to add up the days. Right. And now I'm coming up to my third year, April 15, like Lord willing. Um, I don't want to start over again. Right. Because if I, if I'm not honest with the people in my life, you know, it doesn't mean that as soon as you find recovery or you start collecting your chips that your whole life is turned around. Like I'm three years in and I'm still learning how to live it. Yeah. You know, I got into, you know, I did the work with my sponsor about um, clo- almost close to my one year. Okay. We started doing it was maybe just right after my one year. Mm-hmm. And, and that was opening because when you write down all your resentments and you actually look at your part, yeah. <laughs> and when you actually look at your part, you're like, Oh, it wasn't about that other person at all. <laughs> right. right? Right. You want to blame, blame, blame. And then when I really broke it down, I'm like, I was actually a shitty person. Yeah. <laughs> I was selfish. I was self-centered, um, ego, pride, right. All of those character defects. And, and there was a couple that I was working through with my sponsor and she's like, well, you're being selfish and self-centered. I'm like, excuse me. <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> Like, I thought that applied to these ones. And she goes, no. And then, and to have someone say that to you. Yeah. First time I had heard those words. Like, oh, that didn't feel good. (laughs) But, (laughs) but, but I needed that. I needed that. Yeah. I don't know, kick in the ass. Like, no, Kel, this is, this is on you. Right. Yeah, for sure. That's, that's so important, right? Is that. Um, having someone like mm-hmm. for us, we have sponsors, but for other people, it might just be a mentor or someone that mm-hmm. isn't afraid to tell you the truth, right. even even if it's going to hurt your feelings. Yeah, like I've had coaches recently. You know, I've had I have my sponsor, and she's been with me since the beginning. Um, we both know Marsha and how wonderful yeah. she is. And there was something that happened last year, and she goes, I and she called me out on it, and it was about boundaries. And I was getting so emotionally attached to everything that was happening. Everyone's, um, I wasn't reacting very well. Mm. She goes, I, she goes, you might want to, I don't know how she said it, but it had something to do with boundaries. Okay. I feel like you've lost your boundaries on this. And I'm like, pardon? And it hurt. Right. Because I had done so much work in the last couple of years. I didn't want to recognize that I had taken a couple steps back. But when she called me out on it, it was like, yeah, you're right. Okay, what can I do differently now? What can I put into place for myself? Like my self-care game had gone. Right. So what can I do? I had stopped working out. I had stopped running. I stopped doing the things I loved because I was consumed with this other issue. And yeah, so if, you know, whether you're in recovery and have a sponsor or you just have a mentor, there's someone that needs to call you out on your shit. Definitely. (laughs) and give them the permission to do so, right? Yeah, and like, I had a friend who who would say things to me, a best friend, and I would be pissed off at her because yeah. I didn't really hear it. But but when I recognized it was helpful, I gave her that permission. You know what? I need to hear that, even though it hurts. Right. I need you. I need you to tell me when. Uh, you know, God bless her. She's still my friend now because because I was. You know, it was. You know, yeah, you, we, you know, we put our th- friends through a lot and 
yeah. when they stick by you, knowing that they see something better hidden. Yeah. Right? Waiting for that to come out. And it's so great that you have a friend like that who has stood by you and been there in your darkness, but is now here for your light, right? Because those types of friends, if you're able to have those in your life, are the ones who really see you, right? Yeah. They know what it was like, and now they know what it's like now. And so when you do kind of start to get off the beam a little, or like, for example, last year when your, your boundaries had kind of slipped and your self-care had slipped, they're the ones that can say, Hey Kelly, what's going on? What's yeah. what's up with you, right? And yeah. it, it it's so, so it's such a huge thing to have that kind of support. Right? And and they and they catch you on your language, right? And mm -hmm. she'll, you know, and um, and, and she'll remind me, you've said this before, Kel. Yeah. What, what's different now? What's what's different? What's going to be different this time? Because you've said this before. Right. right? And. Um, yeah, I'm getting really emotional thinking about journey that we've been all getting home, me and my girlfriend, and how 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 much support that she's given me. Yeah, yeah, and and it's so beautiful that so. you can feel those emotions today. <laughs> yeah. So thank you, Mary, for listening. Thank you, uh, because I haven't forgotten. <laughs> I haven't forgotten at the beginning for us. You know, and she's very close with our family, and she went through the ups and downs with us. Yeah, that's. And I'm time for for myself. Yeah, that's beautiful but, that you're able to 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 acknowledge that and feel those feelings, right? Because there's a time previously where those feelings wouldn't even come in, or if they did, it was like, "Got a drink? Can't can't yeah. handle this." Yeah. Yeah. And when you feel it like right in your, like your heart, right? Like it's just, yeah. you get choked up. Right. And we, for so long, we just denied our feelings, right. Or denied the importance of people in our lives. Definitely. You know, you know and I was talking before about um, learning how to live again. It's not about just quitting drinking, right. It's alcohol is one, one piece of the puzzle. Yeah, it's learning how to be a friend again, learning how to be a mom again, who's present. Yeah, right. Definitely. Learning how to be a daughter, learning to like I didn't know how to communicate with my parents. Like my mom was afraid to communicate with me because I was going to lash out every time she suggested something. I would be like, ah. right. Yeah. So you have to learn how to communicate with people again, and you know I got into some trouble financially before Christmas. I think. Part of our disease is the disease of more. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so it, and it doesn't necessarily mean it's a, you know, we wanted more alcohol, right? We wanted more drugs. We wanted more this, more that. I got into the state of, well, if this program's good, that's got to be better. And if this is good, that's got to be better. And yeah, definitely. Chasing, right? Chasing the next best thing. And, and I probably over, well, I know I overspent. Were they all valuable programs? A hundred percent. Do I regret spending that money? No, because I got value in everything that I did. Right. Could I have been smarter um, financially? Yes. <laughs> and, you know, it took me in the new year going to my parents who I've always been scared to have conversations with because I didn't, I didn't want the, the, I didn't want to be parented, right? As children, you don't want someone telling you what to do. Exactly. And, you know, I went to my dad and I said, okay, look, I need help here. And I can get here a lot quicker with your guidance and your assistance. And um, I need help. I need help putting it together. So, and that's when I recognized as alcoholics or not even just alcoholics, people, we all, we need to learn how to live, <laughs> yeah. right? And asking for support and asking for guidance, not asking them to do it for you, but how do I put a plan in place so that I get to where I want to be? Right, exactly. Like what, what do I need to do to get to that next step, that next de destination? What mm -hmm. steps do I need to take and having that plan in place, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's yeah. what being vulnerable too, right? Like being honest and saying, okay, hey, this is where I'm at kind of in the pickle here. 
right how do I get out of that or what can I put in place and I, I know he's good with numbers so I went to someone who knew more than I did right and I think that's so important too to turn to somebody who's either walked the path before you and knows the way out mm-hmm. or like you said he's good with numbers so that's another Not- thing we learn in recovery is to find people who can help us with the problem that we have Right. right. Rather than like finding everyone. Proud to ask, right. I think yeah. we have always been too proud to ask. Our egos got in the way. I can't admit that I screwed up again. <laughs> right. And it's not, it, it's part of the learning process, right? We were not put on this earth and expected to know everything all at once. Right. Exactly. Part of, the, part of living. That's a huge point too, that we don't have to know everything for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, at this time, Kelly, I want to ask you, just because this has been such a beautiful conversation and I'm so thankful that you came and shared all of this with us and shared kind of what happened and what you did to get through it and where you're at now. But in that time frame, can you share with us one piece of advice that you were given that really sticks out for you? Like if it's just... Oh... There's been so much. I don't know if it was, um, gosh, there's been so many nuggets over the years. Um, One, a couple things. I guess you always have a choice. You Mm -hmm. always have a choice. Uh, A lot of times we feel like we don't have a choice, but we've always had a choice all along. We just weren't making the right choices for us. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. I think I'm just going to leave it at that. <laughs> yeah. I think that's another one that I was going to fish for, but I think choice was a huge thing for me. I, I always had a choice. I just wasn't making the right choices for me. Mm, that's so important to remember, right? That either way, whether you're in a bad spot or not, it ultimately was your choice, right? And like that you're saying, you always had a choice. You just weren't making the, the best ones. Mm-hmm. And I guess the last thing is, do you have any last pieces of advice or words that you want to share with the audience today that just to hit home the message you've been sharing that's been so powerful? Yeah. um, We've all been through some dark times or we may all experience uh, dark times in our lives. You do not have to do it alone. Mm. I tried to do it alone for so long. And by doing it alone, I got deeper and deeper into um, my problems. So if you are going through something right now, the best thing that you can do is reach out for help. Um, Don't look for the answers yourself. There's someone who's willing and ready to help. People Mm. want to help. They just need to know what you need help with. Definitely. And Thank you. Thank you so much, Kelly. And where is the best place for people to connect with you? I am active on Facebook um, under Kelly Jane Thorne, my name. I do have a group. If you are living alongside someone who has an addiction, it doesn't necessarily mean you have to be living with them. They could be part of your family. They could be a friend. So I've created a Facebook group. And there's a lot of valuable information. It's a relatively new group, but I've started to put information that what do you do? How do you love yourself? Um, it, there's a really good book. Um, it's called Loving, Your, Loving an Addict, Loving Yourself. Do you mm. need to learn how to love yourself first and take care of yourself first? Um, because you only have control of yourself. So that Facebook group is called um, Finding Freedom from an Addicted Loved One. Mm. And... I think it's really important that I clarify I think freedom does not mean you separate life and them. They're still right. to be part of life. You take care of that process. That's where the freedom comes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Taking care of yourself. So yeah, that's, that's the, I would say the best way to reach me. I'm on Instagram too, but most of my addiction, recovery, family, stuff is on Facebook. Okay, perfect. And I'll, I'll tag you in the, 
the uh, outlines on the notes as well so that people can connect with you, but sometimes people are just listening. So thanks so much for joining us today, Kelly. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show and I look forward to our future conversations. That was awesome. Thank you. Awesome. Hey guys, one last thing before you go. Starting on April 13th, I'm going to be hosting Unleash Your Rebel Soul, Energetic Healing to Revive You Experience. It's going to be an incredible five days, jam-packed with all kinds of ways to really support you and heal you at this time. You're not going to want to miss it. So join the Rebel Souls Unleashed Facebook community, and I can't wait to see you in there. Until we meet again, lean in to get soulful. Thank you for meeting me soul to soul today on the Soulful Podcast. If this episode connected with you and you feel called to, please share it with your friends and family so they can feel the love as well. Also, don't forget to hit subscribe on your podcast player so you get notified when new episodes drop. Please leave a rating and comment so I know what's touching your soul the most and can bring you more of what you long for. If you have suggestions for topics or would like me to speak at your event, please connect with me at S-O-U-L-F-U-L-L-S-O-B-R-I-E-T-Y at gmail.com. Thank you for your love and support in helping me connect with more souls to remind them they are divine, capable, and loved. You're the best. Go out looking at the world through the lens of love.